Hey, good morning. My name is Isaac. I'm one of our pastors here, and I have the privilege of bringing the word to you this morning. Uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. We're going to begin there. We're going to be reading uh, 12 verses, if that's okay with you. Um, if it's not, we're still going to do it. So, um, reading 12 verses, uh, but I'm excited, and, and hopefully you're ready uh, to respond to whatever the Holy Spirit is going to speak to you specifically today. Galatians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says this, and this is the Apostle Paul writing to the churches at Galatia, and he says this, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God the Father and Lord our Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our Father, of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. What you'll notice here, we'll continue reading here in just a moment, but uh, what you'll notice is Paul's attitude shifts very quickly. Okay, normally when you read letters that Paul has written, uh, Paul has this, has this tendency to have this long discourse kind of at the beginning, this great greeting uh, to, to just like, because he knows them and he's writing to uh, specific individuals, specific churches, and he knows them pretty well. And so he, he writes and he's got this greeting and this prayer for them. But here in Galatians, it's, it's clear that Paul kind of like, I mean, he checks the box of like, okay, I greeted them. I technically I prayed, but like, I got to get to some stuff. Um, and so he, he goes very quickly through this greeting and immediately goes, okay, I, I, I'm frustrated with you. I, I'm disappointed. And as we continue to read, I want you to hear the frustration and the disappointment uh, in Paul as he is writing uh, to these churches at Galatia. And, and it says that there have been some who have tried to want to pervert the gospel of Christ. That word pervert is used two other times in the New Testament, and it, it's translated to, to reverse to go back to, to take away and, and to go back to what was before. And that's what these false teachers here are trying to do. It says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the gospel of Christ to a different gospel. Verse eight, but even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say to you again, if anybody preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased man, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man nor was taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. I want to preach a message to you today, and the title is this, The Truth About Grace. The Truth About Grace. Let's pray, and then we'll jump in. God, I thank you so much for your grace. God, I thank you for your manifest presence that is here. Your Holy Spirit is here with us. 
God, I thank you that you are good in every single way. God, I thank you that good doesn't describe you. You give the definition of what good truly is. God, I thank you that we get to experience your goodness today. Holy Spirit, speak to each and every one of us that we might leave a little bit different, a little bit more like you. And God, that we would be more overwhelmed with joy by the goodness of your grace today. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. 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 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 14, the Bible says this, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Before it says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. He came to dwell among us. We got to understand beginning that grace is the thing that separates Christianity or the way of Jesus from every single other religion that you and I are presented with. It, it is the separating thing. Every other religion, if you study them long enough, you will find that the pathway is if you do enough, maybe you'll get to God. If you do enough, if you string enough good days together, if you string enough good behaviors together, if you, uh, if you, if you treat your relationships well, if you honor others, then maybe you'll get to God. Maybe you will spend eternity somewhere. But God, who is rich in mercy, sent his son Jesus to be the sacrifice for our sins so that in him we might have life and life more abundantly as we put our faith in him. The message of Jesus is that God did everything, so we simply receive. And our response is faith in him. It's different. And Paul is writing to a, the churches of Galatia, and it's important to note also here in Galatians chapter 1, that Paul is writing, normally when Paul writes letters, they are intended for a specific church. They're intended for a specific group of people. However, here in Galatians 1, what we find is that this letter is intended specifically written for a collection of churches. And that's important for you and I to note as you read your Bible and as we dig into this story, that Paul is beginning to sense a trend. Paul is sensing a trend among churches at Galatia that they are beginning to adopt another gospel, that they are being swayed that to, to believe that grace is no longer enough. In Galatians chapter 1, what we find is that there have been false teachers who, since these people have come to know the goodness and the grace of our Lord, who have received the grace of God and are walking in that, false teachers come and begin to tell them that, that grace isn't good enough, that actually it doesn't cover everything. Like, okay, God's gracious, yes, but like, um, there's more. And they begin to add things to this gospel of Jesus. They, they begin to, to add and, and, and expect everybody to do everything. And no, okay, that's not good enough. You need to do a little bit more. You've got you've to, you, uh, hey, like, have, they heard, have they told you about no shorts in church? Have they told you that part? No hats, right? We've talked about that part already. Okay, how about lipstick? Have we hit that yet? No? Okay. Obviously, we laugh because we know that that's ridiculous. But, but this is what is happening in Galatians 1. And Paul writes and he says, I marvel that you are turning away, watch this, so soon, so quickly from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. And what we find here is that Paul is showing us that there are some things worth fighting for. Now, 
If you're married, you understand that 9.9 out of 10 things are not worth fighting for, right? They're not worth fighting about. I also understand that I just solved half of your arguments this morning. Okay, they're not worth fighting about. However, Paul is making a, making a point to us, making it clear that when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the purity, the true gospel, that Jesus stepped down from heaven, put on flesh and bone, lived a perfect life that we ought to live. He died a sinner's death, our death. He rose from the dead three days later, conquering death, hell, and the grave, and now sits at the right hand of the Father, and in him, through him, and by his sacrifice, I might have life if I simply just receive and believe in him. That gospel, that is worth fighting for. That there are some things that are worth talking about. And, and some of the other stuff about, hey, like, like, let's treat our neighbor well. and let's, Yes, those are, it doesn't discount those things. It just, these false teachers are, are swaying people to begin putting their faith in their good works rather than in the sacrifice of Jesus. And it becomes apparent to me that, especially in our culture today, that we often fight more about the additives in our food than we do the additives in the gospel. That we're more concerned about blue dye and yellow, whatever the number is, than we are about things being added to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he did everything and every day of my life ought to be an overwhelming response to that goodness that I am walking in. That is worth fighting for. And there are things being added to the gospel. But the reality is this, is that many of us oftentimes misunderstand really what the gospel, what, what grace really is. Like, like grace oftentimes is, we kind of relate to grace similar to, that we do to that like gift that our friend gives us kind of out of the blue. And we're like, I don't, what is this? And it's like really cool that you receive it, but you're like, what is it? This is awesome. You know, or how about this? Parents. Like when your kid paints a painting for you and you have to be excited about it, but you have no idea what it actually is. And you come home and, you're like, and your daughter, my daughter runs up to me, Daddy, look at what I painted for you. You're like, oh my gosh, this is great. And for a moment, you're like, oh my, my daughter thought of me. She thinks the world of me. Oh my goodness. And then a few seconds later, you're looking at your wife saying, what is, what is this? We sent her to school. What is, what is this thing? What is... And, and hear me, uh, and then what happens? It goes in the fridge, and then like two weeks later, you're like, is this still, what are we doing here? Parents, I need your help. At what point is it okay for you to throw your kids' projects away, and you're not a horrible human? I need help with this, so see me out in the lobby afterwards. Because like, I feel like a t terrible dad when I'm like, what are, why is our countertop covered in art projects from the last year? Right? Like, is there a bin we can throw these in? Is there anywhere we can put, can we throw them away? Like, do we need these? I don't even know what it is. Many of us, that's how we actually treat grace. It's this amazing thing initially, but then we really don't know what to do with it afterwards. We really don't know what it is or how it ought to influence my life on a daily basis now that I've submitted 
to Jesus. And I want to I show you what Paul Reese says. He says this about the grace or the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says this, the gospel is neither a discussion nor a debate. It's an announcement. But there is no debate. In fact, the gospel doesn't need any of your additives. It doesn't need, it, it doesn't need your opinion. It doesn't need our debate. It doesn't need our, it is good all by itself that Jesus in his love laid his life down, chose to go to the cross for you and for me. But the truth is your understanding about any given topic can change based on where you get your definition. And it makes sense to me that the churches in Galatia would be swayed if they begin to get their definition of what grace really is from anywhere other than Jesus. It would make sense to me that you and I might have a tendency to sway off of what the truth about grace really is and how good God really is if we don't get our definition about grace from this book. See, and let me, let me prove it to you. Um, I want to show you what the definition of grace is from dictionary.com, okay? It's this, courteousness or goodwill. I'm like, goodwill, all right, I, you got to give me more than that. So definition of goodwill, friendly, helpful, or cooperative feelings or attitude. It makes sense to me that we have an issue dealing with grace, understanding what grace really is, if that's what your definition is. It would make sense to me that if you viewed the grace of God as just courteous goodwill, oh, they're just helpful feelings and attitudes towards you, how in a moment of despair, you might begin to think that your actions are needed in order to elevate you in your relationship with God. It, it would make sense to me. If it's just courteousness, I mean, you're going to be courteous this afternoon at lunch, but that doesn't mean that you're overwhelming in grace for that person. They're, no, no, no. We, if that's our definition, it makes sense that we would be deceived at times for grace really is. But grace is this. Let's look at Acts chapter 15, verse 11, and then we'll define grace based on scripture. It says this. We believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. What is grace? Grace is this. It is the undeserved, unearned, unmerited kindness and favor of God. That's definitely worth clapping for. That's what it is. That's what you and I have access to in the person of Jesus. That is, that is the gift towards us. It is the undeserved, unearned, unmerited kindness and favor of our God. And how do you receive it? Freely. That, that grace is received and our response is faith. That when you get a revelation of the goodness of the grace of God, your natural response is that faith would rise up in you. That faith to believe in God and faith to believe God, faith to believe what he says would just begin to well up in your soul as you stand in awe of the grace of God. But as we see with the churches in Galatia, it is entirely possible and often more true than we would like to admit that we fall into believing lies at times about this grace and insert ourselves a little bit more than we really, really are. Churches of Galatia begin to be deceived, swayed. So I want to give you, over the next few moments, I'm going to give you five lies that you and I are tempted to believe 
that I would say at different points in my life, I have believed for a period of time that you and I are tempted to be swayed to begin to believe. And then we're going to combat it with what is the truth about grace. And the first one is this. Grace is not earned. Grace is received. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 says this. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. Okay, immediately we're only halfway through that verse. And it's already told us it's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's a gift. Romans chapter 3 and verse 24 says this, Yet God, in His grace, freely makes us, He freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty of our sin. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin, People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. But we got to understand that grace contradicts our natural relationship to this world and to one another. And honestly, for good reason. One of the difficult things about grace is that it, it, it is antithetical to the way you naturally relate to one another that I naturally relate to other people in my humanity. And I'll say it like this. Um, this phrase, it could be most summed up in this. I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. How many of you think a marriage would work really well with that philosophy? No, in case you're wondering, single people, nobody raise their hand, okay? So just write that down, okay? It, it, it does not work. In fact, if I'll only scratch your back if you scratch mine, we're gonna be waiting here forever. Because that means I'm expecting you to go first, you're expecting me to go first, and we're just kind of at a standstill. How many of you think a relationship with your kids would work well that way? Very much not. I'll take you to church if you drive me. Probably not, right? But that's, that's just naturally in our humanity how we relate to one another. And so you, here's what you got to understand as we talk about grace. All of us in this room should be frustrated in one way or another today. And here's why. Because whenever we talk about grace, it automatically frustrates any remnant of religion out of us. It brings to the top any sense of legalism, any sense of religion that is left over in our heart. Grace just bubbles it up to the top. And that should be good news for you and I. That there is an opportunity today to leave more free and more overwhelmed with joy by the goodness of our God. But it doesn't work the way that you and I naturally live our life. Good news of the gospel, the grace of Jesus, is that he came and did everything so that I respond to him. The second lie that we often believe is this. What we have to understand is grace is not a practice or a principle. Grace is a person. Grace is a person. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, again, it says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. The gift of God. Just saying, so you know, every word in Scripture is important and divine and should be thought through. It is 
the gift of God. Not a gift, it is the gift of God. So that leads us to believe what is the gift. Furthermore, let's dive in a little bit more. What is the gift of God? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave, what, who? His only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Grace is a person. Grace is a person you get to know. Grace is a person you walk with. Grace is a person you talk with. Grace is a person you allow to speak into every situation that you are presented with. Grace, grace is one that you, you have a daily intimate relationship with. Grace is not a principle of do this, do that, and then you'll receive it. No, no, no. Grace is one that we receive and spend every day full of joy and gladness that I just get to walk with him. Grace overwhelms us because he's so good. Grace is a person. And it ought to frustrate us that it's not a principle because we love rules, don't we? We love, we really do. Like when my daughter goes to school, um, it's as if I'm going back to school. And I'll say that because I drop her off at school. And so my wife will lay out all of our stuff that we need for the day because she knows I'm going to forget it. And that's really good for me. Because my daughter goes to school with a lunch. Not because I pack it, but because she does. So, so I like that there is this system in place where I get up and I know everything is going to be right there. And I grab it and I put it in the car and I drop her off. Oh, but that's not how grace works. Grace, grace says, hey, like you receive it and then you go. Like There's not a list of things you do to get more of it. There's not a list of things you do so that it's, it's more attainable for you. No, 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 grace is a person, and he has already come for you, for me. The third thing is this, and this might be one that you're struggling with today. Grace is not hard to find. Grace is right there now with you. Grace is right there now with you. You got to understand that he, Jesus, meets you where you are. He does not expect you to come to him, to run to him, to go find. In fact, look at this. Grace is, you ever played hide and seek with a toddler? With a four-year-old, I'll just tell you, this is, you're just getting a lot of insight on my life right now. Um, when I play hide and seek with my daughter, Soraya, right, I'll be in her room and I'll be counting and say one, two, all, all the way to like 10, 20, and I'll be like, ready or not, here I come. And generally speaking, I don't even make it to 10 before she yells or she comes and finds me while I'm counting to go find her. <laughs> and if, if I'm lucky enough that she forgets to come find me, the second I say, ready or not, here I come, guess what she says? Dad, I'm in the kitchen. Dad, come find me, I'm by the fridge. I'm under mom's bed, right? Like, I wonder today, how much encouragement it ought to give you that that's actually how easy it is to find the grace of God. It is not hard to find. Look, look at this. You remember the woman at the well? Five husbands hanging out with one dude that's also not her husband and Jesus meets her at the well. How about the man at the pool? Uh, when, when Jesus is, is on a journey, the Bible says, and he makes a specific stop, goes out of his way to make a specific stop to meet a man who had been at a pool with an infirmity for 38 years. 
all these people at the pool, Jesus goes to see that one man. How about, how, how about, how about this? How about the demon-possessed man who is, who is in the cave on the other side of the sea and, and Jesus goes all the way, takes his disciples, goes all the way across the sea through a storm, mind you, to get to one man in a cave who the Bible says that not even his family or friends would go see him any longer because he was too dangerous. Jesus went all the way to see him. How about, how about the woman caught in the act of adultery? Jesus stops a sermon. With a woman caught in the act of adultery, kneels down next to her in her shame, in her brokenness, in her despair, with everybody else around to be with her. We just celebrated Easter and the goodness of our God and, and the sacrifice of Jesus and the fact that he is not dead, but he is alive just a couple weeks ago. But what, what I love about that story, and, and one of the things I love about that story actually is that, that Peter, Jesus comes to Peter and tells him that you're going to deny me three times before the, before the end of the night. And Peter goes, Peter makes a bet with God, which is generally just not a good practice because you're going to lose every time. But Peter makes a bet with God. Um, and makes a bet with Jesus and, and says, there is no way I do that. Like, like, no chance. All in. Won't do it. And the Bible tells us that it didn't even take a full day. It took hours. And it took teenagers to sway him off of his, his like, all-in bet. After Jesus is risen, what we see is that Peter goes fishing. Peter goes back to the thing that's familiar to him, back to the thing that he knew to do from the beginning, back to the very thing he was doing before Jesus called him because it's what he knew, it's what was comfortable, it's what was familiar. And what we see is that Jesus, even though Peter did deny him three times, goes to meet with Peter. John 21 restores Peter back to right relationship, reminds him how much he loves him and he loves him, makes him a meal and they sit down and they eat together. He finds you. He meets you where you are. Matthew 28 and verse 20. Because the question becomes, how is he here? Because the seat next to me might be empty. Well, that's my wife. Well, that's my husband. How, how is he actually here? Matthew 28 verse 20. Jesus says, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Titus chapter 3 and verse 6 through 7 says this. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of His grace, He made us right in His sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. John 14, Jesus is even going further to talk to His disciples. He's telling them of what is to come. He's saying, hey, in a moment, in a little bit, there will be a time when I'm not physically present with you any longer. And I need you to understand that that is good news. And the disciples, like you and me, don't believe it. How can that be good, Jesus? How in the world? They begin to worry. They begin to fear. And Jesus assures them and says that my Father will send the Holy Spirit and he will lead you. He will be an earnest deposit of grace on the inside of you that walks with you, that reminds you that you are mine and that I am your God. And he will actually lead you into all truth. He will teach you of the things that I have not taught you. And he will remind you of the things that I have spoken to you. He is with us, which leads me to the next thing. 
And this is the one that many of us, whenever we talk about grace, we want to make sure that we sneak in there because we want to. But I'm going to te- grace is not a license. Grace is transformative. Grace is not a license. Grace is transformative. Let's go back for a second and talk what we just did. The Holy Spirit is the earnest deposit of grace on the inside of our life that leads us into all truth. So I want to help us for a second um, because here's what we got to understand. To say that grace gives us the opportunity to sin would tell me two things, should tell us two things. For those that grace just, it gives you, gives people a license to sin. We need to not talk about it so much. We need to not talk about it so clearly. We need to not make it so simple, so easy, so digestible. Here's what that would say, and I'm going to personalize it just so that we don't go too many. To say that grace gives us an opportunity to sin says two things. One, it speaks of how little I really understand the grace of God. Because if you truly understood and had a revelation of the, gr- of the grace of God, you would know that grace, the div- a divine revelation of the grace of God is the single greatest motivator to living a life of humility, obedience, and surrender to God. When I truly get a revelation of how good this grace of God really is, all I want to do is yield my life more and more to the Holy Spirit that he would lead me into the truth of who I am and who God is. That's what grace does. It overwhelms you. You got to understand that like there are a lot of things in life you ought not be overwhelmed by, but the grace of God, you definitely should be overwhelmed by. I should live daily overwhelmed by the grace and the goodness of our God and walk in that every day. It doesn't give me a license. It transforms me. Let me prove it to you. Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. Look at what the Bible says. Okay, for those who think that grace, grace gives us a license to sin, look at what the Bible says. Titus chapter 2 verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us, Teaching us the grace of God that brings salvation teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. You want to know what the second thing that, that, that believing that, that grace is a license to sin tells me? It tells me that, you, that I think, I think, you think that I think, that I play too much of a role in my salvation story to begin with. Because this tells me that it's actually a revelation of the grace of God that even gives me the ability to live soberly. That he leads me. He guides me. He moves me in the direction that I ought to go as I am aware of his grace. Look at this, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians excuse me, chapter 5 and verse 17. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Grace transforms your life. It does not make you a better version of the person you were. It makes you a totally new creation. He completely alters everything. So it is not a license of sin. It is when I stand in awe of the grace of God. All I actually want to do 
is stay there and do everything he asks me to do. In fact, Paul will say when questioned, so since the grace of God is so good, should we just go on sinning? Read it for yourself. Paul says this, dumbfounded by the question. Of course not. Are you, are you serious, Paul says? That's the question you ask after I laid out how good this really is? Of course not. Should do the opposite. Should you lead, yield your life even more? And the last lie that we sometimes are tempted to believe is this. We think that grace is limited. But you got to understand that grace is not limited. Grace is for all, unto all. Grace is for everything and everyone who would believe. And hear this. My limited understanding, thank you, Jesus, my limited understanding of his grace does not affect the reach of his grace at all. And that's good news for us today. That no matter where you're at in understanding the grace of God, it's still all there available for you. Because he already died. He already got up. Let me show you. John chapter 1 and verse 16. It says, for his, for, from his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. Let's prove it some more. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Romans 5 verse 18, Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. Romans 8 chapter 32 says, that, or Romans chapter 8 verse 32 says this, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all? All things. Grace is not limited. Grace is not limited to your past sins 30 years ago. Grace covers it all. Grace is for it all. Grace is for yesterday. Grace is for today. Grace is for tomorrow. Grace is for it all. Grace is for every person. Grace is for the person. I've said this before, but, but, one of the things that we often believe is that God of, God of the Hebrew Scriptures was angry. God of the New Testament, Jesus, he's nice and he's cool to hang out with and you can like watch the game with him. But you got to understand the indictment on God, the frustration on God from the very beginning of Scripture was not that he was angry, was not that he, would, that he was like, he, he was out to get people. It's that he was too gracious even to their enemies. His grace is for all. For the people that frustrate you, for the people that you don't really like that much at work, for the boss that you wish you could work for somebody else, grace is for all people. And that ought to encourage you today. That ought to like swell up some faith in you today, some joy in you today, because once I was lost, once you were lost, but thank God in his rich and mercy that now I am found. I once was blind, but now I see. I once was broken, but now I am healed because of the grace of God. It is for all people. And Paul says, I marvel that you have moved so quickly, so soon. 
to something else. You've allowed things to be added to this good news about who Jesus is. Why? Don't do it. It is that good. This is the truth about grace. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Here's the response that I feel for today is, I was writing to the churches of Galatia and he's saying, hey, like you've begun to put your faith in some other things. You've begun to put your faith in your good works, your faith in your efforts, your faith in your resume, your faith in your track record, your faith in the people you know and the network that you have. And though those things are awesome, let me be clear that none of those things save you None of those things elevate you. The grace of God can only be received and then responded to in faith. Through five things that we tend to believe, five lies that we tend to believe in, myself included. And here's the deal, just with your head bowed, your eyes closed right now, just which one of those maybe are you struggling with the most right now? Which one of those have you maybe found yourself believing in a little too much? Which one of those have you thought that maybe got off a little bit? And just in this moment right now, just repent. Say, God, I'm sorry. God, God I'm sorry that I was, I was swayed. Just tell him right now, God, this is it. I thought I had to earn it. I thought it was a principle. Oh, but it's so much more than that. God, I, I thought it was hard to find. I've actually been afraid to come to you. I've, I've actually been afraid to pursue you because I, I don't know where to look for your grace. And maybe today the revelation for you is that it is right here with you. What is it? Just repent. God, I'm sorry. Thank you for the truth about your grace. It is that good. It is that present. It is that available. It is that for me. Thank you, Jesus.